The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they came and they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So there's only one miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is recorded in all four Gospels. Only one. Out of all of the miracles Jesus did, all of the miraculous things Jesus did, there is only one other than his resurrection recorded in all four Gospels. And it is this miracle, the feeding of the multitudes. Now, why is it that this miracle is the one that the Holy Spirit saw fit to inspire each of the gospel writers to include in their gospel record. What is it about this particular work of Jesus Christ? And what is it that we can learn from this miracle? See, I believe that this miracle uniquely teaches us who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. We see in this miracle who Jesus is. Jesus is our compassionate Savior. Jesus is the compassionate Son of God. Now, why is that important for us to know that Jesus is compassionate? Because it is not um, 
good news to know that there is a God who is sovereign over the affairs of men. Right? That truth, that news in and of itself is not inherently good news. It is not good simply to know that there is a God somewhere and this God is sovereign, this God is in control, this God is ordering all our affairs. That is not good news. Why is that not good news? Because it wholly and completely depends on the character of that God. You see, it becomes good news when we learn that this God who is sovereign over the affairs of men is a God who is full of compassion and full of mercy. When we learn that he is a God who is kind towards us. Now that's good news. There is a sovereign creator God who is in control of all the affairs of men who is not only sovereign, but he is kind and he is compassionate and he is good. And this is what we see in this text. We see a savior who is compassionate and kind. We find in this text a creator who not only has the power to meet human needs, but also a sincere desire to do so. And so we will walk through this text and we will see in this text this creator God who is compassionate and kind. And we will also see in this text a fulfillment of the past and a foreshadowing of the future. More on that at the end. That's how we will close this morning. Let's walk through these verses together, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. This is their return to Jesus after Jesus had sent them out in, in groups of two to preach and proclaim the word of God, to call people to repentance, and to do mighty works. And so they are sent out by Jesus, and that's exactly what they do. They go and they preach repentance, and they do mighty works of, of healings and casting out of, of demons. And as they do so, their, their fame spreads. So they go, they do it, they come back, they tell Jesus all that they've done, verse 30, verse 31, and Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Their ministry had been so effective that the crowds now had grown even larger. So we know large crowds are following Jesus as he is going about teaching and doing mighty works. Now those crowds have multiplied 12-fold. People are now coming from further away places in greater numbers. 
And as the, the amount of people grow, so does the pressures of ministry grow. And it had become so that they could not even find the time or the, the space to eat. Jesus knows that they are tired and they're in need of, of rest. They're in need of rest. This is, this is ministry. There, there are seasons in ministry. And that's, that's not just for, for us who are, you know, the paid vocational ministers. This is for all of us because we're all ministers in the kingdom of God. There are seasons in ministry that are um, unusually tiresome where we need rest, right? That was me last year as I was closing in on burnout and was depressed and mean and not a good husband and not a good wife. I needed a break and you were gracious to give me a, a break. There are seasons. And this is a season where pressures of ministry had grown to where they couldn't even eat. And so Jesus, knowing this, says, would you come away just us, let's go to a desolate place and let's rest. Let's rest a while. So they got in a boat, verse 32, to go to a desolate place by themselves. Now, Mark does not tell us where this desolate place is, but Luke does in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. This is the, the corresponding passage. Tells us that this is the area of Bethsaida. Bethsaida. It's just, there's some disagreements um, and not a real clear understanding of, of where Bethsaida was or what Bethsaida w- was. It, was it a town? Was it a region? Or there's multiple towns. Um, it, it literally means like house of fish. It's a fishing town. And Bethsaida is the hometown of Peter and Andrew. They were born there. Um, it also was the, the former resident of uh, Philip and Nathaniel. So it's a, it's a place that these disciples would have known well, but a place that was, was away from and outside of these, these groups of people that are following them. It was a place that could be described as, as a desolate place. It would have been from where they were about a four-mile journey across the Sea of Galilee, It would have been by foot along the edge of the Sea of Galilee, about an eight-mile journey. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them, and so they ran there on foot from all of the towns, and they got there ahead of them. So Jesus and his disciples in a boat headed across the water. They see them going, recognize them, and they begin to run along the, the shore, And as they go from town to town through this eight miles, the crowd's building and building and building and word is going out. They're headed over there. They're headed over there. And so they got there ahead of them so that verse 34, when he went ashore and he saw a great crowd, Jesus, he had compassion on them. Compassion on them. Jesus, in an attempt to get away to a desolate place, instead finds a great crowd. Mark tells us that this crowd numbered 5,000 men. Well, we learn other places 
and here that this is just men that are counted. This does not count women and children. Conservatively, this is a crowd of 20,000 people. 5,000 men. You can easily think 5,000 women. Not just because every man would be married, but because women outnumber men. And when you talk about spiritual things, especially women seem to outnumber men. And then you factor in children, one or two or three per family. You're into the tens of thousands, 20,000 in a crowd. So here is Jesus and his disciples, tired and hungry, attempting to take a break, to get away from the crowds, instead landing on the shore and finding 20,000 people. Now, do you know what I would have been in that moment? I would have been irritated. I would have been irritated. I am the most irritable when I'm tired. I know that about myself. I would have been irritated. What is wrong with these people? Why will they not leave me alone? Can't you see I need to eat? Can't you see I need a break? But that is not how Jesus responds, is it? Instead, Mark tells us that Jesus has compassion on them. He feels compassion. This word for compassion here is is a word that comes from the same word as a stomach, which is weird to think about, but you know it. It's it's an intense feeling that you feel in your gut, that you feel in your gut. It's, it's, uh, you know, butterflies. It's butterflies. It's this deep, tender mercy and a love that's so intense you feel it in your gut. That's this word for compassion. There's lots of words that could have been used here. This is the one used just to communicate this intense and deep tender mercy that Jesus feels towards this this crowd. And why does Jesus feel this way? Why does he feel such compassion? Because he, he knows and he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. What does it mean to be a sheep? Well, it's not a good thing to be a sheep. Because sheep are useless. They are totally unable to provide for themselves. They are totally unable to protect themselves. They have zero directional ability. They just wander aimlessly. They are directionless. And so when Jesus sees this group of people, this great multitude of of people, he has compassion on them because he sees them as sheep who don't have a shepherd. Who are, who are lacking provision and who are lacking protection and who are lacking direction because those who should be providing those things to them have abdicated that responsibility. The, the, the Jewish 
leadership of their day, they are not shepherds to these people. They are wolves in sheep clothing. They're not receiving the word of God as God intended, the care of God as God intended. Instead, they're being led astray. They have no shepherd. And Jesus feels compassion over them. And so what does he do? Well, he begins to teach them many things. I think in this story, our focus is so regularly on this miraculous work of of Jesus multiplying these loaves and fish. But there was a greater feeding that happened. And this is the greater feeding. That Jesus, out of his compassion and his mercy, begins to give them what they need the most, the word of God. And he begins to teach them many things. Many things. This is the greater feeding. Luke tells us, he's more specific than Mark, Luke tells us that he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus begins to shepherd them. This is the greatest responsibility and this is the greatest calling of a shepherd to teach the word of God. And so that's what he begins to do. He begins to shepherd them in his loving compassion towards them and to feed them what they need the most, the word of God. Verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came and they said to him. Now, I, this is, I love this because this means that I can be long-winded because Jesus was long-winded. Jesus taught them so long that it became late in the day. And so his disciples come to him and they say, listen, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. There's, no, there's nowhere around here to get food. And it's late, so we need to send this group away. We need to get them out of here so that they can go out into the surrounding countryside of the villages and they can buy them something to eat. There's not anything for them to eat here. Meanwhile, they're feasting on the word of God. But Jesus answers them and he says to them, no, how about you give them something to eat? You give them something to eat. This, this, is, this is an imperative. When, when, the, when, the, when you put something at the front of a sentence, it's to have the most emphasis, right? You give them something to eat. You do it. Why would Jesus tell them to do it? Because this was a test of their level of faith. Right? He's testing their faith. You give them something to eat. And he's forcing them in that moment to acknowledge that there is absolutely no human solution to this problem. There's 20,000 people here who need to eat and there's no food to feed them. So he says, you give them something to eat. And they respond to him, what I believe is sarcasm. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of food and give it to them to eat? This would have been about eight months wages. 
A day's wages was a, a denarii, about eight months. Do you expect us to go and to spend eight months worth of our wages to buy these people enough food to eat? So he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Won't you go and see? And they found out, they came to him and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. These, these loaves here are not, you know, wonder bread loaf like we think, but more in the terms of um, a cracker. We find out from, from John's account of this that this was a child's lunch. John 6, 8, 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Five crackers, two sardines, 20,000 people. That's all we've got, Jesus. The reality is, this is not enough. But they failed to look to the Lord and what he could do here. Don't just look at the food. Look to the Lord. What can the Lord do here? And so Jesus began to work. Verse 39, he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. They had been standing, hearing the word of God. Now Jesus tells them to sit down into neatly organized units. Some of 50, some of hundreds, some say groups that were hundreds of groups of 50, but it doesn't matter. Groups, 100 people, 50 people, nice, neat, organized units so that the distribution of food could be more easily done and so that they could eat more comfortably. They sit down on the green grass in these groups and then the miracle happens, verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided two fish among them all. The miracle happens. None of the, none of the, the gospel writers give us a whole lot of clarity as to what happened here and how it happened because it was miraculous and so there probably wasn't a lot of explanation here and people have wondered where, where did this, this multiplication did, took place, you know? I think it's, it's pretty clear, it seems here in the scriptures that this miraculous multiplication of food took place in Jesus' hands. That he looked to heaven and he gave a blessing. Now, Ty will amen this because I've been out to eat with them a, a bunch of times. He didn't bless the food. He blessed the God who provided the food. That's what we do. We bless God for his provision. And then Jesus begins to distribute. And miraculously, it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And in his hands, Jesus keeps creating and creating and creating as they kept taking and taking and taking. 
And here in this moment, in the hands of the creator, enough food is created to feed 20,000 people. Verse 42, and they all ate the freshest bread and the freshest fish, and they were satisfied. And when they finished, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Now, isn't that interesting? Come on with me, disciples, the 12 of you. Let's go eat. Then the ministry keeps going. It keeps happening. The day grows late. The work continues. We got to distribute food to 20,000 people taking none for ourselves, but in the end, Jesus has created full baskets for each disciple. And they receive far more in return than they ever gave. And more than anyone else on that day. If this is the nature of ministry, as we talk about discipleship groups, this is the nature of discipleship groups. You will end up receiving from the Lord far more than you give in service. God is faithful to provide for you more. Now, that is not a plea for your money. That does not mean if you put $100 in the basket, God's going to give you 1000 But as you serve and you empty yourself in the service of others and in ministry, God is faithful to fill you all the more with his presence. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. What do we see? We see that Jesus is the compassionate creator. That Jesus is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And the application from this text is, it's simple, isn't it? Take what little you have and trust it in the hands of Jesus. He is able to do more than you could ever do on your own. He is the compassionate Savior who sees your needs, who sees your desires and your wants, and gladly is able to fill you to satisfaction. This is our Savior. And don't look at our small resources. Look at the hands in which we trust them in. Don't look at your life and think, what is there that I could do? It's just me. Don't look at our church and think, what could this little church do? In the hands of, of Jesus, miraculous things happen. But there is one more thing we see in this story. And it is a fulfillment of the past and a foreshadowing of the future. 
So Mark sort of leaves us here. But John, he doesn't leave us here. We learn some other things in John. And John works to begin to connect some dots for us as to what's happening in this moment. And that is this revelation that Jesus is the greater Moses. This story is a fulfillment of what had come before in the Old Testament and what these these Jews would have known, would have heard, would would have grown up hearing. How Moses led his people, led the people of God out of bondage and into the wilderness. What is the wilderness? The wilderness is a desolate place. And just as the people of God left Egypt and traveled to a desolate place here, 20,000 people have traveled to a desolate place. And just as they left Egypt and got to a desolate place and looked around and said, you just brought us here to die. There's nothing to eat. His disciples say, look around, Jesus. There's nothing here to eat. And just as God was faithful to provide bread from heaven in the form of manna to feed them to satisfaction, so does Jesus here. And just as Moses was leading them on an exodus out of bondage, so is Jesus leading them on a greater exodus. Not out of physical slavery, but out of spiritual slavery, out of spiritual bondage. And just as Moses followed God in this promise that there would be a promised land where they could rest, Jesus comes and leads us to the ultimate fulfillment of that promised land where there is eternal rest. Jesus is the greater Moses. There is a fulfillment of the Old Testament in this moment and there's a foreshadowing of what is to come. Because the bread that Jesus offers is a greater bread. A bread that not only satisfies for a moment, but satisfies for all of eternity. Take your Bibles, go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, starting starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away and other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus and When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
You're following me not because of the miraculous things that I have done. Not because you believe in me. You're following me because you think with me you're getting a free meal. And the best meal you've ever gotten. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? I mean, if this is not emblematic of the people in the wilderness, what are you going to do? Jesus is thinking, I'm sure, I, I just fed you from some crackers and some sardines and walked across the water. What are you going to do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are you going to do? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you from the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's not about Moses. It's about the God who gives the bread. And he is right now in this moment giving you the greater bread. The one who has come down from heaven to give his life. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's what you call irresistible grace. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's the perseverance of the saints. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this... Not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them saying, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone who eats of it will not die. I am the living bread. It came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the cross, of the death, of Jesus giving his body, the bread. So the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers who ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. These are hard words of Jesus. There's 20,000 people following Jesus. Do you know what the vast multitudes of them do after this moment? They turn and they walk away. Because all they were seeking was bread to fill them for that day. And what Jesus offers is a bread that will fill you for eternity. A satisfaction that never ends. And it's not from physical provision, but a spiritual provision. A forgiveness of your sins. A new life in him. A promised resurrection for all who believe in him. What do we see in this miracle of the feedings of the multitudes? What we see is a call to believe in him, to feast on him and to look at his body broken for us. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come in the cross and it's a calling for you to put your faith in him. And the spiritual provision that he offers. So we can't come to this verse and say, look at the way we can take what little bit I have. I can take what little money I have. I can take what little talents I have. I can take what little time I have and give them to Jesus and watch Jesus do miraculous things with them. That's part of it. But the bigger calling, the bigger picture is to trust in a Savior who meets your spiritual needs. And in whom you find full satisfaction 
the greater bread. And the greater Moses, who leads you to the greater rest, a ceasing from your strivings to please God. That's the greater bread. Father, what hard truth this is for us to eat of your flesh and to drink of your blood. It's a hard thing to do, to die to ourselves, to trust you. Indeed, it is impossible, but for you and for your grace. How comforting it is to know that all that the Father has given to you will come to you. And all that come to you, you will keep every one of them. So, Father, as, I, as we come to these texts and we see Jesus and all of his majesty and his power and his compassion and his love, may our faith in him grow stronger. May our belief in him grow deeper. May our feasting on him grow all the more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.